This episode, we talk about science and how we as average Americans should approach scientific analysis on a variety of our nation's challenges. We also talk about how science is being exploited to drive particular narratives. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. Follow the science. Listen to the science. Listen to the experts. Don't be a science denier. These are all phrases that we hear a lot in the national dialogue on a variety of issues, and they're phrases that, in general, I agree with. I think that science is really important, and I think that it should be a foundation for how we come together as any sort of society to make decisions about how we are forming public policy, and the direction that we want to head in as a country. We've been hearing these phrases quite a bit, particularly as we are going through the coronavirus pandemic, as it is a medical situation, and so science plays a very large role in the decisions that we are making. There are certain realities, though, in regards to putting so much stock into science that I think a lot of people who often cite science really don't want to face the reality of the fact that science in America today is heavily influenced by politics. The reality that many people who claim to be guided by science are perfectly comfortable ignoring the science that is inconvenient to their political positions. And the reality that science can only tell us facts and it does not give us the wisdom to understand how to interpret what the science is telling us and what the best direction to move forward in is. We are seeing this conversation right now, particularly as we are discussing whether or not we should open schools in the United States amidst this pandemic. There are certain things that we know for a scientific fact. We know that as of today, there are 31 COVID deaths in the entire country for people under the age of 15. There are 73 million minors, children under the age of 18, living in the United States of America. And the number of children who have died from coronavirus is 31. We know that the current estimate from the CDC is that point. 4% of the people who show symptoms of coronavirus die, which gives us a 99.6% survival rate. We know that this disease is most deadly for people who are elderly and people who have other underlying conditions. These are certain things that we know that are facts. We have seen study after study. We have seen statistics. We have seen evidence that all tells us that this is some, these are some of the realities that we are dealing with when it comes to this pandemic. Right now, we are, according to government officials and health experts, we are seeing an increase in the United States in the number of coronavirus cases that are people being tested and testing positive for coronavirus. And as this is happening in the closing months of the summer vacation, as we are getting closer and closer to when schools are supposed to be opening, we are seeing governors across the country who are putting the brakes on opening schools. We are also seeing teachers speaking out and saying that they do not want to 
go back to work, that they are scared, that they feel like being forced to return to the classroom in the current situation would be basically a death sentence for them. And the interesting thing about all of this is that none of the science that we see is actually bearing out these positions. And yet these are the positions that politicians take. So this is just a really good example of what I'm talking about, where the people who are saying the most clearly, we want to follow the science and we want to do what the science tells us to do are actually not following the science when it comes to schools opening. I think that we have all seen in the debate about schools, the people who don't want the schools to open, who are using the argument that if you are pushing for schools to resume, it's because you don't care about the safety of children. It is because you are comfortable with seeing dead kids. I've actually seen multiple people use that argument. And the reality is, is that you cannot say that you are somebody who follows the science, that you are somebody who cares about science, and also say that people who want schools to reopen and children to attend school in person don't care about the safety of children. Children have time and again in every single study, in every single statistic, in every single piece of evidence that we currently have, have shown to not have significant ramifications from the coronavirus. In fact, children are three times more likely to die from the regular seasonal flu than from COVID-19. I know that there is a lot of criticism among people who say it's just a flu or it's nothing worse than the average flu that we see every single year, but there is scientific evidence to show that when it comes to children, the average seasonal flu is three times more deadly than coronaviruses for them. We know that in this country, 40% of the deaths that we have seen from coronavirus took place in nursing homes. So that is something that we could have had better control over. Okay, If we are looking to protect people from coronavirus, we absolutely know who the vulnerable populations are. We know that it is people by and large, over the age of 70 and over the age of 80 who have the highest mortality rate for this. We know that people under the age of 41 to 44 are not having significant problems with this virus. And every time that anybody brings that up, what we get is typically a barrage of examples and anecdotal cases of young people, children or healthy 25-year-olds who got really sick or who died of coronavirus. But we have to remember that when we are looking at scientific data, that when we are looking to make policies that affect our entire country, we cannot look only at the anecdotal cases. Every single one of those 31 children who died is a tragedy. Nobody is denying that. Every child who dies for any cause or reason whatsoever is a tragedy. And nobody is denying that. But when a child dies in a car accident, we don't ban children from riding in cars. We take a look at the whole picture. And this is where wisdom has to come in. We have to look at the evidence in front of us, look at what science tells us, and we have to use our common sense to say, okay, the odds of this happening are extraordinarily low, which means that children are not dying at a rapid pace from coronavirus. You cannot simultaneously say that you care about science, that you want to follow the science, and that you are somebody who is driven and motivated by scientific information and scientific data, and then at the same time claim that it is dangerous for children to open up the schools. The other argument that we hear a lot 
against opening schools is, okay, yes, we acknowledge that it is not dangerous for children to go to school, but it is dangerous for the teachers, that children are going to spread the virus to the teachers, that children are going to bring the virus home to their parents, to their families, and make other people sick. This is the argument that we hear all the time. And yet, when we look at the science, when we look at every single study that has been done so far, the science does not bear that out. There was a study in Denmark. So Denmark reopened schools in April after closing them for one month. The schools in Denmark were opened for five weeks before summer vacation. And official data shows that it did not lead to an increase in virus spread. Children have been shown to not spread the virus, let alone get sick from it. It's not just about the fact that they don't get sick from it. Study after study has shown that children do not spread this virus in the way that they spread other illnesses. And look, I have three children. I work in schools. I know perfectly well that children are germ factories. They spread illnesses because they do not have the understanding that adults have about proper hygiene and hand washing skills and not picking their nose and doing all this other gross stuff with their hands. And so they spread illnesses. But for whatever reason, which is something we should all be grateful for, children are not spreading this virus. Adults are spreading the virus to children a lot more than children are spreading the virus to adults. According to Bloomberg, there was a study that compared Sweden and Finland in regards to COVID spread at schools. So in Sweden, they left the schools completely open, whereas in Finland, they closed the schools. Sweden was heavily criticized throughout this pandemic because they really never shut down their country, while Finland uh, did shut down and imposed tougher social distancing. And what this study found was that there was no difference in the overall incidence of COVID-19 cases in children age 1 to 19 when you compared those two countries. There was no difference in the number of children who were infected or the spread of coronavirus. Now, some people are pointing to Israel because in Israel, they opened up some schools and there was a spread of coronavirus. And so there's factors that they are talking about that you need to take into account. Um, For instance, you need to take into account the community spread in that particular area. But you also need to take into account, for example, in Israel, the families, there are more people typically who live together in a certain family. And so if a child did take the illness home, then it would spread among more people than in maybe some of the other countries. So there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. But the part that is really important to recognize is that every single study that has been conducted so far has shown that children are not only not getting very sick from COVID, but they are not spreading it. And yet we continue to see day after day in this country articles from teachers, from teachers unions, from particular politicians who are saying that opening up schools is dangerous for children, that it is putting children's lives in danger, and that it is dangerous for teachers. The ironic reality of all of this is that if this is true, which again, all of the studies point to it, that children are not spreading COVID-19, then a teacher who is under a certain age, under the age of 50, let's say, who is relatively healthy, who doesn't have a lot of comorbidities, they actually will be safer in a classroom with 25 children under the age of 15 than so many of the adults who have been actually getting up and having to go into work every single day working alongside other adults. So for all the teachers who are saying that this is putting them at an unbelievably high risk, it's just not true. The science doesn't bear it out. 
What's interesting is as we go through this pandemic, and of course, you know, there's so much that we don't know about this virus, and there's so much that has been back and forth and differences of opinion and discrepancies among what we have been told. And a lot of what they are telling us is that it's, an, it's because it's a new virus and there's so much that we just don't know about it. And that's all fine and dandy. But the reality is, is that there has not been a single study that shows that this virus is dangerous for children or that they are spreading it at a high rate. There has not been a single piece of data or evidence that shows that children are dying in massive numbers due to this virus. There are some countries in the world where no children under the age of 18 have died from this virus. So when it comes to follow the science, what I really see is so many people who claim to want to follow the science, but when that science is inconvenient to what they want to do and what they want to believe, they have absolutely no problem dismissing the science that does not fit their political narrative. The National Institute for Public Health and the Environment in the Netherlands actually said they recommended in their official recommendations that kids under the age of 12 do not need to socially distance because they're not spreading the virus, but they don't need to distance among themselves and they don't need to distance among their teachers. And according to this same recommendation, kids 12 to 18 don't need to distance from each other, but maybe should distance from adults. The idea that children are going to die if we send them back to school is a straw man argument. They, the science simply does not bear that out. Our news media are really big during this pandemic on pushing the idea of science on us. They have attacked President Trump numerous times when it comes to him, what they say that he's been ignoring the science. They say that Republican governors are ignoring the science. And we've talked about this on the show before, where governors who are Democrat have been praised, even though they have the highest death rates in their states of coronavirus and Republican governors have been viciously attacked, even though their death rates are significantly lower. We see actual lies in the media when it comes to how they cover the administration's response with the coronavirus and with the science. For example, we saw just last week, CNN's Jim Acosta sent out a tweet after a press conference with White House Secretary Kayleigh McEnany. And in his tweet, he said, the White House press secretary on Trump's push to reopen schools, quote, the science should not stand in the way of this, end quote. He later added the proper context to that conversation, which was that McEnany said that the science is on our side here. And so there's no reason to cite science as a reason to keep the schools closed. She is 100 percent correct. If we are purely looking at the science, the science on the, on the side of opening schools. There is just no way around it. And yet we see this political game being played with this topic by the teachers unions. There have been teachers unions in this country in the city of Los Angeles or the Los Angeles Unified School District. The union released a letter saying that the teachers would not return to school if certain demands were not met. And some of those demands had to do with defunding charter schools. Some of those demands had to do with defunding police departments and having the district sever ties with the LAPD when it came to police on schools. What does that have to do with coronavirus? What does that have to do with coronavirus? A 
North Carolina school district union released a letter demanding that in order for them and for these teachers to be willing to return to school, they had to guarantee some sorts of financial support or benefits to illegal immigrants, people who were living in the state illegally. What does that have to do with coronavirus? So as we are having this conversation and I constantly hear the questions, why has this pandemic become political? Why are people making this political? We need to stop and look at who is actually making this political, okay? Because these teachers and these teachers unions, and look, I have a lot of respect for teachers. I think that there are a lot of really, really good teachers in this country who truly care about their students, who truly care about educating people, and a lot of teachers want to get back to work. But the reality is, is that the forces that are in control of these situations are very much playing politics with this pandemic. And they are not making these decisions based on the science. The science goes completely against what they are calling for and what they are looking to do. We have heard a lot of attacks against just us as average Americans by those in power for being anti-science. This is something that I have heard many times over the last several weeks, including from Dr. Fauci himself, who is, of course, one of the lead doctors in the White House Coronavirus Task Force. This week, he decided to cite New York as an example of a state that we should look at as one who brought their coronavirus numbers down. This is the kind of stuff that makes Americans look at these people and not trust them. New York, as we all know, has had over 32,000 coronavirus deaths. They are the state with the highest number of deaths, and it's not even close. When it comes to looking at the highest death rates per capita, they are only behind the state of New Jersey. So, And the order that it goes in is New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and the District of Columbia. And yet, what do we hear nonstop from the media? What do we hear nonstop is attacks on Florida, attacks on Texas, and attacks on Arizona when it comes to the spread of coronavirus. And then we have Dr. Fauci citing New York as the example. We know, as I said earlier, that 40% of the deaths in this country when it comes to coronavirus were in nursing homes. We knew this was not something that we found out later on in the pandemic. We knew from very early on in the pandemic that this illness, this disease is particularly dangerous among people who are elderly and people who have comorbidities. That describes every single person who is in a nursing home in this country. And yet, up until I believe it was June, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, forced nursing homes in his state to accept COVID positive patients, which led to this disease spreading in those nursing homes like absolute wildfire. And yet we are being told that they're an example that we should be looking at. Another thing that everybody's been talking about, and it has become just such a focal point for this conversation, is the idea of wearing masks. Wearing masks has become the be-all and end-all for fighting against the coronavirus pandemic. Where I live here in California, we have had mask mandates on and off by the county, by the state, for basically this entire pandemic. The state of California was one of the first states to shut down and have a stay-at-home order in this entire pandemic. That happened in, I believe, the third week of March because our schools closed on March 13th and the following week, our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, issued a stay-at-home order. So here in California, mask wearing has been going on for a long time. The stay-at-home order was, again, we were one of the first states to do it. And yet right now, California is spiking in the number of coronavirus cases. 
According to the CDC and according to the World Health Organization, the evidence for mask wearing is mixed. Even in the CDC recommendations, which are so highly cited, it is basically saying that, you know, mask wearing can be a good tool to help when you cannot avoid socially distancing. But it does not say that this is the be all end all of the coronavirus. Even before the current mask mandate that we have here in the state of California that the governor issued at the end of June. I mean, I live here and I could see with my own eyes that people who were in stores would wear their masks. When it was not mandated, I would go to the store and there would, anytime I went, there would usually be maybe one, maybe two customers in any store I went into that did not have a mask on their face. So the vast majority of Californians have been wearing masks when they go out in public to places that are high risk, places that are that have indoor facilities. A lot of our stores have required it. This is something that is not just, oh, maybe, you know, 50% of Californians were doing it. The vast majority of Californians were doing this even before it was mandated. People love to point to folks who are walking around outside and say, oh my gosh, but look at them. They're not wearing masks. Well, guess what? If you're outside and you're more than six feet away from somebody who's not in your family, you don't need to wear a mask, even according to California current mask mandate. And yet everybody's talking about masks and yet California's numbers are still going up and they have been since the middle of June. Everybody likes to talk about the science and Again, I completely agree with the idea that we need to look at science to tell us information. But one of the things that we need to be very aware of as average Americans, when all of these people are talking about the science and talking about how important it is to listen to science, is that our science is absolutely swayed by politics. The conclusions that people come to from the scientific information are swayed by their politics, whether it is the politics of the people who are in the media who are spreading the information or whether it is the politics of people who are in government who have a particular political motivation to push a certain narrative. People in power use science in order to back up what they claim, what they want to be true, and they are perfectly comfortable ignoring whatever scientific data and information is not convenient for them. If Gavin Newsom listened to the science, then there would be no reason why he should prevent schools from opening in the state of California in the fall. And yet that is exactly what he's doing. This is so true, not just when it comes to the coronavirus, but it's true in so many other areas of our national discourse as well. Whether we see, for example, in the conversation surrounding abortion, science tells us that unborn babies are very much alive and that they are completely human. And yet it never fails when you are having a conversation with somebody around the issue of abortion. You will have at least 50 percent of the people who are pro-choice in this country believe that an unborn baby is not actually alive or it's not actually human. It is not a human being. Science tells us that this is true. I love, you know, the little word games that people play where they say, oh, it's not a baby. Don't call it a baby. Just call it a fetus. But yet medical doctors, my medical doctors, I've had three children and through all nine months of all three of my pregnancies, my OBGYN, my doctor, my nurses, the hospital staff, everybody I encountered who was in the medical field referred to the fetus as a baby. There is not a doctor in this country who would make the claim that an unborn baby is not living and nor would they make the claim that it is not human. And yet people repeat this argument all the time in their way to support abortion rights. 
science tells us that there are actual serious biological differences between men and women. And yet, because of the rise of transgender rights and the issues surrounding transgenderism in this country, that has become a controversial statement. If you say that only women can give birth, even if you say only biological women can give birth, you know, that if you want to talk about, okay, maybe gender is separate from your physical biological sex, but if you say only biological women can give birth, that has become a controversial statement. And yet, we know that there are actual physical differences between men and women. We are seeing one of the controversial issues that we are dealing with today is this idea of biological males competing in female sports. And we are told, no, there is no problem there. There is no issue there. We have to let biological males compete in female sports. And yet science tells us, okay, this is not just opinion. Science tells us that men are larger than women. They are stronger than women. They have more muscle mass than women. This is the whole reason why we have a separation of male and female sports to begin with is because there are actual physical differences between biological men and biological women that affect their physical performances and their athletic performances. And yet, if you say this stuff, that is controversial and we are not allowed to say that. We see this in the area and the conversation surrounding climate change. We hear all the time that 97% of scientists agree that in the left narrative on climate change, and the reality is, is that that is not true. 97% of scientists, when you actually dig into it and you look through what the studies are, what the data says, 97% of scientists, what they agree on is the fact that the climate is changing. And what many of them agree on, depending on where you look in your sources, is that human action is responsible for a lot of the change in the climate. And yet they cite politicians who are pushing a particular narrative cite that 97% number and say that 97% of scientists agree that climate change is going to basically kill us all. That 97% number is absolutely not true. There are articles in the Wall Street Journal. There are articles in Forbes that say that there are a lot of scientists, climate scientists, meteorologists, people who focus and major on these things who say, we don't believe that these results and that the consequences of the earth warming are necessarily catastrophic. We don't agree that it is the end of the world as we know it. In fact, there is no consensus in the scientific community on that fact. And there's a lot of discussion and question about just how much the warming that we are seeing is caused by human behavior. What we are seeing more and more when we look at all of these different issues in which looking at science is really important for us to understand the problem, understand the challenge, understand the conversation and make decisions about the direction that we want to go in as a society and what policies we want to put in place. But more and more, what we are seeing is that doctors and scientists who are not towing the line, who are not following the narrative and pushing out the narrative that those in power want to be pushed out, they are being silenced. There are a lot of doctors who, medical doctors who have practices and who are seeing patients who have dissented very strongly on some of the things that we are doing in our country to fight the coronavirus pandemic. And they have literally been taken off of YouTube and Facebook. They are not allowed to share their opinions. There are scientists who disagree with the climate change narrative and they have been silenced. They have been dismissed. They have been taken off of these platforms. 
Scientists and doctors who warn about the complications and issues that surround gender reassignment surgeries, particularly when it comes to hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgeries for minors, they have been silenced and they are constantly told that they are engaging in hate speech. There's an author named Abigail Schreier. She recently wrote a book about the risks of the trans journey for young people. It is called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And what her book is, is it's basically just a warning. It's just saying that there are a lot of girls in this country who are getting seduced by the idea of being transgender and who are ending up regretting those decisions. She has faced a lot of challenges with Amazon. They banned her publisher from putting ads out for that book. If you search the title of her book, even if you type in the full title of her book, it will bring up a lot of pro transgender books. Studies about transgender issues have been canceled due to hate. There was a Guardian article that talked about this happening where the, let's see, the Bath Spa University approved but then rejected a proposal by James Caspian to have a study that looked into transgender issues. And what the study was researching and what they, he wanted to look into was how many people who had gender reassignment surgeries who then wanted to transition. And the university initially approved the application. This is over in England. The university originally approved the application and then they disproved it. They told him that the reason why they withdrew their approval for his application was because the study itself was potentially politically incorrect and they were going to get a lot of backlash if he proceeded with that study. Walt Heyer is an activist. He has an organization that the website for it is sexchangeregret.com. This is a man who spent, I think it was eight years of his life living as a woman. He was transgender and he transitioned back. And he has spent the rest of his life trying to help people who transitioned through gender reassignment and who regret it and who want to change back. And he says that up to 20% of people who undergo this transition want to detransition. He gave an interview. He put up a YouTube video talking about his personal experience and YouTube censored it. They censored it. They took it down and they called it hate speech. The people who sit here and they claim to want to focus on science, who claim to be driven by the science, are perfectly comfortable ignoring whatever science and whatever information doesn't drive their narrative. And so we, as Americans who are trying to take in all of the information that is pushed onto us every single day through the media, through social media, who people who are trying to be honest, be intellectually honest and get all of the right and accurate information, it is really important for us to understand that politics is a huge driving factor in science and in the scientific communities in our country. And that really sways what information that we are given and what information, the way that that information is presented to us. One other thing that I kind of want to talk about on this issue is this strange movement that people seem to have where they refuse to acknowledge the negative consequences of their policy conclusions. So for instance, there was an open letter that was touted by a teacher. It was on my local ABC7 and it was on, I saw it on one other news organization that slips my mind at the moment, but it was this open letter from this teacher who was talking about how she did not want to go back to work and that parents and other you know government officials 
should not expect that of her because it would be like not just putting her life in danger, but it would be like putting her entire family in danger. And one of the things that she said in this article that just was so disturbing to me was she said that students will be okay. Children are resilient and that children will catch up, but there's no catching up if you are dead. That was the way she presented it. So first of all, again, this claim is completely anti-science. But one of the things that has really bothered me about the movement against opening up schools is this complete dismissal of the consequences of not doing so. I think that people of goodwill and good faith in this country can have disagreements about whether or not, just as an example, we should open up schools. I think that you could be somebody who says, okay, this is a lose-lose situation. This is a terrible situation. We have never been in a situation like this before. And so we are just trying to figure it out as best we can and just keep people safe and have the least amount of consequences possible. But that's not what people are saying. That is not the approach that people are making. People who do not want to open up schools are completely dismissing the negative consequences for not doing so. They are saying that kids are not going to be hurt by this. They are saying that it's not a big deal. You know what you cannot do? You cannot simultaneously make the argument that education is important, that education is essential, that public schooling is so vital to the development of our children and to the well-being of our children to the point where, again, some of these districts are calling for the defunding of charter schools because, oh no, it only has to be the public school. You cannot make that argument and at the same time make the argument that it is not a big deal if we keep public schools closed for months and months and months on end. Those two arguments do not go together. I am so tired of hearing people be so dismissive about the consequences of the coronavirus lockdowns. We all understand the consequences of coronavirus. People get sick and people die. But there are far too much dismissal in this country of the consequences of the shutdowns. One of the things that I've seen a lot is people who, when it's talking about, for example, hair salons or nail salons, and they say, oh my gosh, look at how these selfish Americans, look at how spoiled we are and how narcissistic we are, that we just have to get our nails done. Is that really essential right now? And they're completely missing the point that no, it is not essential for me to go get my nails done. But for the person who owns that nail salon, it is essential because that is how she pays for the roof over her head and the food on the table of her family and her children. It is essential for the business owners. Okay, this pandemic and this lockdown has had catastrophic consequences for them. And we are going to see catastrophic consequences for underprivileged students and children across this country. That is a fact. We are going to see a widening in the gap between the haves and the have-nots in this country due to these schools being closed. That is a fact. Now, you might be somebody who says, okay, I'm sorry, like that's a terrible thing, but I still think it's important to keep schools closed because of physical safety. But the reality is, is again, the science doesn't support that. And second of all, don't dismiss the consequences of the policy that you want to see enacted. And this is where wisdom has to come in. This is where we have to recognize that science tells us facts. It gives us data. It gives us information. But it is up to us as rational, logical thinking beings to take that science and see what we are supposed to do with it and what decisions we are going, we are supposed to make based off of that science. The decision as to whether or not we open schools in this country 
has to be weighed with a lot of different factors. Okay, yes, the safest thing to do is to keep the schools closed. But there are catastrophic consequences to that on a social level, on an educational level, on a well-being level for millions of American children, and not to mention all of the hardships that working parents across this country are going to face when it comes to not having their children be at school every single day. There are serious consequences. So it is up to us as a society, it is up to our leaders to look at the science and say, okay, yes, the safest thing to do would be to keep schools closed, but the risk to children and the risk to teachers is so low, according to the science and the data, that the societal risk for keeping these schools closed outweighs the risk posed by the actual virus. This is, by the way, a decision that our school districts and our government leaders have made every single year before 2020. During, again, the regular flu season, when the children are three times more likely to die of the regular flu than of COVID-19. And yet, as a society, we have decided that the detrimental impact of closing the schools would be greater than the risk to students' health for keeping them open during a flu season. So this is not something that, you know, people turn around and say, oh my gosh, how dare you? How dare you put anything as a counterweight to people's lives? This is something we do all the time. And I'm not saying that one way or another is right or wrong. But what I am saying is that we cannot dismiss the consequences of our decisions. And we have to look at the bigger picture and all of the ramifications of the decisions that we make. We see this, for example, when we're talking again about climate change, where we look at the science and we look at the data and the information. And according to certain people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if we do not do her radical Green New Deal, which would be catastrophic for the economy, not just of the United States, but of the entire world, that there have been studies that show that millions of people would starve to death if some of these climate change policies were enacted as the economic ramifications are felt around the world. We have to look at that and then look at what the science tells us the ramifications are of not doing anything and allowing whatever human behavior is potentially increasing the temperature of the earth, what the consequences of that are. But we have to be honest about it. And we have to be honest about what the science and what the data tells us. Again, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, the science told us, for example, that it is the elderly people, it is the people who have underlying health conditions who are at the greatest risk of coronavirus and of dying of COVID. It was up to us to make the decision to protect those people. It was up to us and our political leaders and those in charge to make the decision to say, okay, we need to protect the elderly. We need to protect our nursing homes and our, you know, senior living facilities. And we see the consequences of the fact that they did not do that. They did not listen to the science. They did not look at the evidence and make the proper decisions. And tens of thousands of people in this country died because of it. Science gives us facts. It is up to us to take that those facts to apply human wisdom and to tell us what the best direction is to go in when you take all the factors into consideration people in general and people in america do care about truth which is why science is important science is so important it is the foundation of us being able to make decisions and to make policy in this country that is going to make the lives of our citizens 
as best as they can possibly be. I believe in science and that's why throughout my programs here and my shows and you will hear as I talk about various issues, I cite numbers, I cite studies, I cite data is because it is important. But we need to recognize that science today in this country is highly politicized. We need to recognize that we science can only tell us so much. It can give us the facts and it can give us data, but it cannot give us the wisdom that we need to take that information and figure out how to move forward and how to make decisions that is going to lead to the best possible situation for the most amount of people. You can't and shouldn't just accept if someone says the science says, because there are so many things that can be put into that information. There are so many nuances and details that that person could be adding or leaving out. And it is really important for us as Americans to take our knowledge and our information and our awareness of everything that is going on in the country and in the world. We have to take that into our own hands. We have to do our own research. We cannot simply pick our favorite news organization and just listen to everything that they say and take it all in and say, okay, well, this is what they said and just go from there. There are so many different factors that we need to take into account. And this is why free speech is so important. This is why the United States of America and Western countries that value and respect the idea of freedom of speech, this is why we have made so much progress on scientific discovery, why we have made so much progress on medical discoveries. It is because we are able to have freedom of speech. We are able to have scientists who quite often do disagree in their findings and they can share their ideas and they can share their findings and they can talk about it and they can hash it out and they can peer review it and all of that so we can see, okay, you did the study and this is the claim that you're making, but oh, this other scientist is coming along and they're saying that you made a mistake in this spot and this spot and this spot. And so now they're going to go do their own study and we're going to see where it comes to. Free speech is so important because we have to be able to take this data and this information and discuss, okay, what do we do with it? What is the best thing to do with it? Should we open schools or should we keep them closed? Should we mandate masks or should we let people make their own decisions? These are all decisions that can be based on science, but mostly have to be based on wisdom and on conversation and debate and figuring out what the best situations are that lead to the best consequences. Science is a fantastic tool. It is something that we absolutely should look at and focus on and pay attention to, but blindly following science is just as bad and just as detrimental as blindly following anything else. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJ and American. You can also message the show by sending an email to JJ at I'm just an American.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I'm just an American. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about how we should look at science and the challenges facing our country. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty 3